Good morning, church. <clears throat> uh, if you are joining us for the first time today, we're, we're in the middle of a, a series that um, is Advent. It's the, the time of the year here as we are uh, approaching the Christmas season, approaching the birth of Christ, as we both are looking back to the birth of Christ, as well as we are looking forward to the second coming of Christ. And last week, Justin walked us through kind of, uh, in your Bibles, that blank page between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That blank page, um, it represents something. It represents a, a period of silence of, of about 500 years or so. If you missed last Sunday, feel free to go home today. On our website, we have all of our sermons that we've ever done here at Stone Oak. They're on the website. Uh, So if you want to listen to last week, or if you just want to get a better feel of who we are as a church, feel free to go back and find them online. So today we're uh, coming out of that period of silence. For all the parents in the room, uh, do you remember that that time that you found out you were going to be a parent? That very first moment when uh, you found out we are having a child. Uh, It happens for, for people in many different ways. Uh, and people experience it many different ways as well. Uh, some people, that was a time of joy. For my wife and I, whenever we found out we were having my son, Grayson, uh, I remember it distinctly. I was driving home from seminary, uh, and I, had, I was in Dallas, and the Dallas commute is always terrible no matter where you live. And so I had about like a 45-minute drive, uh, as long as traffic wasn't going to be too bad. And she called me up and said, hey, just want to know where you're at. Uh, and what time I can expect you to get here. And I'm thinking, okay, that means maybe dinner's going to be done or something along those lines. So I was really excited to get home because it's nothing better than a long day of sitting in the classroom and then you come home and you have a hot dinner or a long day of work and you come home and there's a hot dinner. And so I walk in and I smell nothing. And so I thought, okay, there's, there's something going on. My wife has been cooking something, but it's obviously not food. And so she said, hey, sit down. I want to show you something. Whenever your wife tells you to sit down, gentlemen, it's usually not something good's going to follow. Something great, however, follows. She showed me a slideshow, and the slideshow began with pictures of my wife and I, and she was really giddy and excited about this, and I was so confused. I had no idea what was going on. And so it goes through the whole slideshow, and uh, it, it was, uh, first came marriage, and it was like a picture of our marriage, and uh, our first came love, and then came marriage, and so it was a picture of kind of our dating years, and then marriage, and then came a picture of these words. It said, and then came a baby. And at that time, she set down two pregnancy tests right there on the table. And we had been trying for a while. And so for us, it was a time of, yes, finally, uh, God has blessed us with a child. For some of you, that, that wasn't the experience that you received. For some of you, if you've gone through the adoption process and that was your first child, it was an email. An email was, was your first time of seeing that child. You knew that you were going to be a parent. And whenever that email crossed your desk or crossed your phone, you probably remember that moment and that time where we're going to be parents again. For others of you, it was a tough season. It was a hard thing. It wasn't the joyful occasion. There was a sense of fear that came along with it. There was possibly a miscarriage before and now that we are pregnant again, we're excited, but we are very reserved within this. So we all interact with these kind of pregnancy announcements in many, many different ways. <clears throat> Generally, though, after the pregnancy announcement kind of happens and we go through the, the joyous occasion, usually, and I would say probably like 98% of the guys uh, in the room experience the same emotion and the same feeling, and that is a feeling of 
fear of, oh my goodness, I'm going to be a parent. I am responsible for a little being right now. The good news is, though, that you have a period of waiting. You have a time. The average is 40 weeks. And I say the average because some of you were really early. Some of you, God bless you, went 40, 41 weeks, 42 weeks, went completely past term. And God has, has blessed you in that endeavor. And there is a lot of patience. And husbands, treat your wives really well. Because I remember the last bit of that time period. 40 weeks is one of those interesting things where it flies and yet it goes so slow at the exact same time. It sounds like nine months. If you think back nine months, it's like, wow, that was just like yesterday. Nine months was not that long ago. And that's kind of how, how birth was for me experiencing it, is that we're pregnant. Excellent. I've got nine months to figure out what in the world I'm going to do. And so you buy the books, and I had a stack of books. And I made it through like maybe like the first two pages of those books, uh, sometimes I'd get like through the first chapter and a half, uh, and then it'd approach like the actual like birthing situation. I was like, no, nah, I don't, I'm done with that one. I'm going to put that shelf up there. Hopefully my wife has read this and hopefully we're going to be okay. Uh, we were, it, it was great. Uh, it's interesting though, within pregnancy though. So you have, they divide it into trimesters, kind of three periods. It's nine months long. So the first three is first trimester, second trimester, and the last three months then are considered the third trimester. It seems like that first trimester usually flies past. Like, it's like, wow, we've done it, honey. We've, I say we because it's like the married we where I've really done nothing, and she's, she's doing everything. But we've made it through that first three months. We have done it. We have succeeded. This is going to go by so fast. And then you get through kind of like that central, that, that second trimester where um, you get usually during that period, you usually get like the gender of the child, which is really exciting. But then you approach that last trimester. And that last trimester is completely different than the other two. The last trimester breaks all like known science and laws of time. It's amazing, especially like the last two weeks, somehow seconds turn to hours. And I know for my wife, she was like, I am ready to have this child. The last two weeks just drug on for her. But then it happens. That baby is born, and you're waiting for something. You're waiting for a noise. You're in the delivery room, and you're waiting for the cry. The cry means so many things. It's the only time in life where I'm so excited and happy to hear my children cry was at that moment, because it means they're alive. It means that at least their vocal cords and the, the requirements to speak are working. That cry breaks the silence and breaks that waiting period for us uh, in such a magnificent way. It's the cry that we're waiting for. Let's look at our text this morning. Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin girl betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Let's just stop right there. It begins in an interesting section. It says, in the sixth month. It doesn't really clarify what that means for us right here. It's not the month of June. It clarifies later on as we read on. The sixth month is not referring to necessarily a calendar month, but it is instead referring to a pregnancy month. And it's not the pregnancy month of Mary here because we're about to... to kind of embark on the beginning for her, it's actually referring to Elizabeth. Elizabeth is mother of John the Baptist, 
this is the context that we're in right now. We've just kind of mentioned John the Baptist right before with Zechariah, and we're going to mention John the Baptist coming up again. But it's in the sixth month of Elizabeth's birth that these events are occurring. And it's, it's very important that we look at Elizabeth here. She's mentioned at the beginning, and she's also mentioned at the end. Elizabeth is barren, and she describes herself, it's, the text describes her as advanced in years. The fact that she is in the sixth month of pregnancy is a miracle of God. And it begins by pointing towards the miracle of God. It begins by pointing towards Elizabeth, the barren, advanced in years woman who is in the sixth month of pregnancy. That's our beginning. Then we go, and we go a little bit further, and we see that there's an angel from God sent to a city of Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So we're introduced to a number of characters, of Gabriel, of Joseph, and of Mary. Now, let's look at Mary first. Mary is a young woman, a very young woman. Uh, depending on where you're looking at, based upon uh, different commentaries of understanding of history, Mary is most likely in the age range of 13 to 15 years old. She is a young woman. Remember that as we look a little bit later on at the response of Mary. Remember what you were like at 15, okay? Remember what you were like at 15. Remember your reactions and how you would interact with these events if you were 15 years old. She's in the city of Nazareth, and she's currently... Uh, engaged or betrothed, depending on what version of Scripture you're reading this morning, uh, to a virgin betrothed to a man. This betrothal process is, is something that we in our current society are kind of unfamiliar with. It's like an engagement, but it's a little bit more than that. So in uh, the context here, there is an engagement, a betrothal, and then the marriage. The engagement is usually set from the beginning, uh, from from a young age, you usually engage to a man set up by parents. However, you have the choice and the option to say, no, you guys definitely chose wrong with that guy, okay? So you do have that option. After the engagement process, though, if you like that guy that your parents have chosen for you, or if there's another guy, that's fine as well, there becomes the process of betrothal. It's a great word. Honey, I am betrothed to you. Betrothal process is a time of preparation, uh, it's lost in our current society. And I know it was lost for me whenever I married my wife, Wendy. We've been married, it was seven years in August. And whenever I asked her to marry me, if I would have known the betrothal process, I would have been, oh my goodness, I have so much work to do. Because the betrothal process is a lot of work based upon the man. Your job as a man in this betrothal process is to prepare your house and your home for your wife. So your wife at this time would be staying with her parents still. She is betrothed to you. And then your job is to uh, build, construct, make your house ready. All right? I know whenever we got married, that was definitely not the circumstances of Wendy and I's marriage. Whenever we got married, all she got from me was uh, a rundown apartment, a futon, and debt. That was the extent of my betrothal to her. I, I did an excellent job of saying, here's what I can offer you. And it's a whole lot. I hope you enjoy my futon. Um, it's not quite the same way here, though. Joseph is preparing for Mary. Mary is still with her parents. And it's at this time uh, that Mary is with her parents that we see this angel enter, Gabriel. 
Gabriel was sent from God. That's an important piece. Gabriel here is sent from God. And he proclaims a miraculous prophecy. But he begins in a unique way. Verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I don't care what the greeting was, I would be troubled at this time. Not because of the greeting, because an angel had just appeared to me. Mary doesn't have that, though. Typically, what we see with angels is two words. Their first words out of their mouths are usually, fear not. Why? Because an angel has just showed up. If I'm standing here and suddenly there appears to be somebody right here, I'm going to be a little bit afraid. Okay? That's why generally their first words are, fear not. There is a fear that is attached with angels. That's not the initial words of the angels. He greets her, O favored one, O grace upon you. Mary reacts in a different way than we expect her to. The angel begins to speak, though, and tells her some incredible news. As she's trying to figure out, as she's trying to be an analytical person of trying to take these words and figure out, hmm, I wonder what that angel really meant whenever he said, O favored one, whenever he gave me that greeting. As she's in this process of analyzing what he is saying, the angel here, Gabriel, continues. Verses 30, 30, 33. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. There it is. Mary, you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary is going to have a baby. This is the best pregnancy test ever. I know whenever we were trying to have children, I should have bought stock in EPT, in the pregnancy tests, because it seemed like no matter what the occasion was, it was a time to take a pregnancy test. Are we pregnant? I suddenly just ate a jalapeno and it didn't burn my mouth. I think I'm pregnant. Or it's a, you know what, I'm a little bit tired this afternoon and I think I want to take a nap. I bet you the reason I'm tired is because this baby is making me tired. I better go take a pregnancy test to find out. It seemed like every chance that we had, we were taking pregnancy tests because we were so excited and so anxious to be married or to have a child. (laughs) To have a child. (laughs) Pause, flip that, reverse it. It's okay. Uh, She has the angel come to her, though. The angel comes to her and gives her the ultimate pregnancy test announcement. You will be pregnant. This is the angel sent by God that gives her this. Wouldn't that be wonderful to hear those words proclaimed to you? If you are trying in this room today to to build your family, that it's not the, the test says that I am pregnant, but an angel appears to me and says, you will be pregnant. Not only does the angel explain she'll be pregnant, but he also explains who this child will be. They're not having to wait until that 20 week appointment where you find out, hopefully, if the child cooperates, gender. They're given everything here. They're given a whole lot more than gender. They're giving a name and a position. His name will be Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign forever. As a parent, this is exactly what you want to hear. I want my children to be successful in life. 
I want my children to have a name, to have a position. I want their lives to be easier and greater than mine was, what is, is currently and was. This is a normal pattern and a normal thing that we want as parents. It's why we're constantly trying to improve their education. It's why we, we look into what's this school district like. It's possibly why some of you have even moved to the Stone Oak area because of the, the education process of Stone Oak. We are constantly trying to place our children in the best scenarios and situations possible. We want them to, to acquire for themselves that name and that position. Mary here is given his name and is already given his position. Mary hears all of this and she responds in a non-typical way. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? How will this be since I am a virgin? This is a different response than, than we would, I think, expect Mary to see. She isn't asking if this will come true. Mary's a, Mary is assuming here that this is going to happen. She isn't asking if there's possibly another way. She isn't asking who this angel is. She isn't wondering about Joseph at this point. She isn't asking if the angels maybe told anybody else in the city. Her question shows a belief within her. Remember, she is 15. An angel has just come to her and said, you will be pregnant. This is the son of the Most High. He will reign forever. And her response is a practical response. Awesome. But how is this going to happen? Because I'm a virgin. There's a purity within Mary. She's waiting for the day that her and Joseph, the two, can become one flesh. She isn't married yet, so she has remained a virgin. And an angel has just appeared to her and said, you will be pregnant. And her response is, how? How, how are you going to do this? Practically speaking, Mr. Angel, how in the world are you going to take me as virgin and place a child within my womb? How is this going to occur? She has belief within her. She's looking at the practical side. I am an extremely analytical and extremely practical person. I love this, that I see somebody who is like me in the text. I see somebody who is, who is taking the, the big picture and saying, how? How are you going to do this? Let me, let me, can, can you clue me in a little bit on your plan here? The angel responds, and he's going to uh, allow her to get a glimpse of the, the how question. God is going to do this through the Holy Spirit. Verse 35. And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. For nothing will be impossible with God. We see that a little bit later in the text here. This might not have been the answer that Mary was looking for. Mary's thinking of all the possibilities of how God can do this and how God could possibly accomplish this. And it might not have been the way that she would have chosen. Maybe she was hoping the, the angel would say, hey, Joseph is ready to take you now as his wife. Go to him. Excellent. Mary would have been, I'm sure, just as happy to, to go with that plan as, as she is with this one. Maybe she was hoping for a more scientific answer. She's not given that, though. She's given an answer of sovereignty. She's given an answer of the Holy Spirit, of God. God has a plan and God has a way through the Holy Spirit because of who he is, because of the power of the Most High, he is going to give you a child. The answer that she found is not one of science, but one of faith. She received her answer to her practical question. She now knows the plan. 
you're going to have a child. And I understand that you are a virgin. This is going to happen because of, through the Holy Spirit. And she even knows how that plan will be enacted now. Let's pause for a second here and go very practical. Place yourselves in the shoes of Mary. Place yourselves as a 15-year-old. What thoughts do you have? What emotions are stirring inside of you at this moment? If we took a survey right now, I'd, I'd guess one of the predominant emotions and feelings right now is one of fear. How in the world is this going to occur? Birth is scary. Birth is an extremely scary process. We have all of our medical technologies that we can check so many things before that child is born now. Whenever I found out I was going to be a dad, all kinds of fears flooded my mind. It was a a time of great joy, uh, but a time of I don't know what to do. Um, Before our son Grayson was born, I had never changed a diaper in my life. That's fearful because I was going to be responsible for a life and I've never even changed a diaper. I had no idea what to do. Birth is scary and all kinds of fears flood our minds. There's the, the fear of the child. I'm afraid for my child's health. God, will you, will you give this child a, a just healthy birth? There's fear for the mother. You hear all sorts of stories of, of problems that can occur throughout birth. And God, will you please just protect my wife in this? There's fear for, not, for financials. Kids are expensive. How in the world are we going to afford this child? There's college coming up in 18 years. I've got to start saving for that now? Diapers. Diapers are very expensive. If you haven't bought diapers recently, go to Toys R Us or Walmart or Target and just look. Look at the price for a case of diapers. There's fear within a financial situation as well. And fear of my own limitations. Fear of how are we going to raise this child? How can I, knowing who I am, knowing all of the the dark areas within my life, how can I lead this child to love God? There's fear involved with this. We don't really know Mary's emotions within this text either. It doesn't really clue us into her reaction. We get little glimpses here and there, but we're not uh, seeing the entire picture. We don't know whether she was really afraid of this birth or not. We see the angel tells her, uh, the angel said to her in verse 30, do not be afraid. We're unsure if that's because of the coming words or simply because it is an angel. We're not totally clued in on Mary's response here. I imagine at times Mary was thinking of also the response of others. It's one thing to have my own fears, but it's another completely different thing to think about the response of others seeing my current situation and my current circumstances. What will Joseph think? Will Joseph believe me? What will my family think? What's going to happen to me within the city? Will the city believe me? Will Joseph, will my family believe whenever I say, an angel came and told me, and I have become pregnant through the Most High, through the power of the Holy Spirit? There's most likely some fear going on within her because of the understanding of an outside viewpoint. Although we don't get a very big glimpse into the feelings and emotions of Mary at this time, we do get a picture, though, of her response. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary's response 
is a position of her theological understanding. Her response is a position of what she believes concerning God. She places her trust in God himself. Whatever you have planned for my life, God, let it be according to your word. This should be our response as well. Let it be. It's a whole lot easier to say whenever you have a miraculous event such as an angel come to you. If an angel shows up to you, it's a whole lot easier to say, okay, the angel has told me this, therefore let it be. In our current circumstances, I've never had an angel show up to me. And I would bet the majority of you have never had an angel show up to you either. However, I believe that our response is the exact same. She says, let it be according to your word. The word that Mary is referring to here is most likely the words of Gabriel, the angel. But let's go all the way back to verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Today, we have the word which was sent from God. This word that I hold before you is from God himself. Uh, We had a theology night um, about a month ago now where we took three nights uh, in a row, three Thursday nights. We met at a YMCA, a group of us did, and we looked at this word. And it was during this time that we uh, discussed and talked about that this word comes from God himself. Uh, that God, through the use of individuals, of people, uh, has penned Scripture. That is ultimately his, uh, he is the author, and is ultimately his revelation to us. This is God speaking to us through the use of print. What should our life's mission be? Let it be to me according to your word. This is our foundation that we stand upon, and it is also our ruling king that we place ourselves under. The silence is broken. The fulfillment is happening. This most likely wasn't Mary's plan. Most likely, if you ask her the day before the angel Gabriel comes to her, her plan was not, oh, I'm going to conceive through the Holy Spirit and I'm going to birth the Savior of the world. I doubt that was what Mary was thinking as a 15-year-old girl. I read a commentary this week that had an incredible quote concerning Mary. It says, her greatest shame became her greatest glory. Her greatest shame became her greatest glory. Many of us today would remain in that shame. Many of us today remain in the shame of our sin. We serve a God that is greater than all of our sin. God is able to use even the times that we come against him for his glory. Through the process of repentance, through the process of restoration, there is grace and there is mercy of Christ. We had a couple, uh, probably about two months ago, we had some gentlemen uh, come to our service. It was a ministry called Be Broken. In case you were gone, uh, Be Broken is a ministry uh, that serves both men and women um, who have gone through any type of um, sexual addiction or sexual deviance. Okay, This ministry is a very great God-honoring ministry. However, the circumstances that this ministry were founded upon was a series of shameful events. The um, guy that was behind the ministry, uh, out of his circumstances of addiction, created a ministry because God has restored him and showed his grace to him. He now has a ministry in which he is doing the same for other men. 
Because of his greatest shame within his life, he is able to bring God the greatest glory. Oftentimes, we're unsure of what God is doing. Within these situations, within these circumstances, we're unsure of what God is doing. Let me remind you, God is not silent. God is still active and God is still moving. His word is alive. What shameful areas in your life have you not given over to God? What past hurts? What past brokenness is God trying to use to bring glory to himself? Let it be to me according to your word. Let's fast forward a bit. In fact, let's fast forward 33 years. Let's look at this child, this Jesus. Let's look at his response. If you turn with me, Luke 22, a couple of chapters later, uh, we come to the story of Jesus, and it's towards the end of his life here. Um, he is going with his disciples, uh, and they are heading up to the Mount of Olives, and he is going to pray. And so he tells the disciples, hey, sit here and pray. Don't fall asleep, which is a funny story. Don't fall asleep, and I'm going to go over here and pray. Let me read for you. Uh, Luke 22, verses 40 through 43. And when he came to the place, he being Jesus, he said to them, Pray they may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. We serve a God that cares. We serve a God that is not silent. We serve a God that has changed everything for you and for me. And we even see the Son of Man here, the Son of the Most High, proclaiming the exact same thing that Mary herself has proclaimed. Let it be to me according to your word, Father. The breaking of the silence is through the person of Christ. Christ has made a way of restoration between us and God. As orphans, we are adopted through the blood of his son. The story does not end there, though. The baby is coming back. Not coming back as a meager young child, but coming back as a reigning king. This Advent season, we are looking back on the beautiful birth of Christ. As we look to the silence being broken through the, the lowly cry, we also look forward to the ultimate restoration of all things. That Christ is coming back, and he's coming back to reign as king and to rule over all. We pray with me this morning? Father, we pause this morning, and we look back to your beautiful birth. We look back to the birth of Christ. Father, I thank you for sending Christ in the way that you did. Not the way that we expected, Father, but in the way that you did. Father, I thank you for Mary's response. And Father, I pray, Lord, that it would be my response to, to everything as well. Lord, let it be according to your word, Father. That this word is the word on which I stand, Father. It's the word under which I, I sit as well, Lord. Father, as we look at this Advent season, we look back and we also look forward, Lord. Father, although you are not silent, Lord, it feels at times like we are in a stage of silence. Father, I ask that you would send the Son. I ask, Lord, that 
Christ would come and reign. Father, we are looking forward to that time. Be with us in this season, Lord. Help us to proclaim who your son is. Help us to proclaim what your son has done. Father, I thank you. Thank you for sending him to die upon the cross, to take my pain, to take my shame. Father, I pray that uh, the events that you have brought me through, Lord, would be used for your ultimate glory. Father, that I would not be shameful. Father, but instead that I would present the magnificent work of mercy and grace within my life. It's in your precious son's name that we pray. Amen.